This is the Roar and Peace podcast. I'm Kate Bierman, mom to a toddler and five rescue animals, two-term city council member and co-owner of three businesses with my business partner, Sarita Wilson. And I am Sarita Wilson. I have two grown kids, which makes me an empty nester. I'm married to a coffee roaster. I'm a wacky doggy daycare lady, industry disruptor, entrepreneur, and city council lady. I have too many animals to name. So today I think we're going to talk about the big old COVID-19 elephant in the room. Um, We are going to talk about how to manage a business during a crisis. Um, And Kate had such a great title name for this, Bleach. Say hand sanitizer and toilet paper. Oh my. So uh, I think that we can all just have an appropriate amount of bleach, hand sanitizer, and toilet paper. So I just want to say that first. Supply chains cannot handle all of this panic, but particularly in terms of businesses, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how something like a pandemic or other national crisis will impact businesses. And at least from my perspective, as a local policymaker, I pay attention to these kinds of things for the local policy implications, but also as a business owner. And as a business owner, I've seen a pretty distinct and stark divide between how this is talked about when it comes to business. It seems like the primary focus is on large national corporations, cruise lines, airlines, and also supply chain folks, and the large businesses that might be compelled to tell employees to, let's say, work from home. However, all of our businesses are small, super small, like on the low end of the small business scale, And we are also in the service industry. We do not do telecommuting or work from home because we can't serve you coffee from home. And we are not situated to care for 100 dogs at any of our homes. So that's simply not practical. maybe. (laughs) Except maybe, maybe Sarita's. So that's not really practical. And so what we have found in our industries is, especially in the industry groups that we are members of, we're seeing a lot of questions being posed to these groups about how are you handling pandemic preparedness? What are you doing? Can we do anything? What is the outlook going to be? Are you seeing your revenue drop? So there's a lot of concern and confusion in the business world, particularly with smaller businesses that aren't necessarily feeling like the information that's being put out there from state and national public health experts or even policy experts is really aimed at their particular situation. So We wanted to talk about it because whether it's a pandemic or any other local, state or national crisis that could have an impact on your business, we think now is an appropriate time to talk about it. So historically, being older than Kate, I have a little more experience than she in the panicky world that we live in sometimes. Starting with Y2K, I was in the banking industry during that kind of thing. So that taught me... I was 14. I I was a grown up (laughs) with babies. But either who's, I, you know, I worked in the banking industry. It was a very real, you know, watching the bank that I worked for and the banks nationally uh, and the Federal Reserve and all that prepare for sort of an unknown whenever the computers could no longer compute, um, which is comical now. But the same kinds of things that we're talking about now was happening then. There's a lot Um, of uncertainty then and there's a lot of uncertainty now. And I'm still fairly convinced that my dad probably has a bus buried in the back of his property somewhere with well, supplies. I know where I'm so going. He's always been a little bit of a prepper. But throughout my experience, we've had lots of crises that come in different forms. We've had bombings in our city 
And so here in central United States, that was very uh, impactful for us in Oklahoma City. Um, and I know Kate experienced the 9-11 yeah, impact because I mean, she's on the East Coast. I was on the East Coast and I lived at a business. My father owned and still owns a bed and breakfast in Vermont. So the primary tourism seasons are the summer, but also mm-hmm. foliage season, which is basically the last two weeks of September and the first two weeks of October. So 9-11 happened, obviously, in the second week of September. There was a total ground halt of airplanes for several days. And there was, I'm sure, national anxiety, but particularly anxiety on the East Coast because of where this happened. We lost all of our reservations for that fall. And as a very small business, I mean, they had one employee and four rooms that losing that entire tourism season is really damaging for a business. And so I was feeling it because obviously when you're used to having people living at your house and you don't have them, you notice. And so I was asking my dad about it and he said, you know, eventually people are going to get back to their daily routines. Eventually they're going to get back to traveling. So we will do what we can do to, you know, keep our one employee useful around here and uh, we'll keep her on board. And at some point, people will start traveling again. And that next spring, you know, it took several months, but by that next spring, reservations started coming back in and we were able to kind of get back to business as usual. And so I really took that to heart that nothing like this is permanent. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we'll get back to some semblance of normalcy. It might not be exactly the same as it was before, but it will the pendulum will swing back. I have some other crises that have happened to talk about, but I, I on that note, I actually want to really emphasize, and throughout this whole podcast, we'll probably talk about this, look around for opportunities because this is a disruption. And disruptions are, while scary, and this one is probably has a little more fear in it and real possibilities for problems, that, that also disruptions create opportunities. So, you know, entrepreneurs look around for opportunities. So in 2008, late 2008, we know that we were... I don't remember exactly when the financial crisis hit. It was it was right okay. then. Yeah. So I uh, so was seeing my 401k. I, I was in my corporate job that I hated. I've talked about many times that I hated that place. But, you know, it, I had good money. I had, you know, 401k. I had all the things. But the 401k starts dropping. I am hating my job, dropping 401k. What the heck? I, you know, I'm having a little midlife. What the heck am I doing here? Crisis. So I started a business like every good person should do in the middle of a financial crisis. But, you know, it worked out. It's kind of like saying, when's a good time to have a baby? I know some very practical people really plan out those things, having babies, That's going mean. to college, starting businesses. I've never been that person. I had a baby when I was 18. I had a baby when I, none of my babies were planned and none of them, I had any money to be able to afford that. And we did fine as my business is the same. So basically, I looked around and found an opportunity because what was happening in Oklahoma, we had a oil, we had the oil field kind of drop. I didn't know this. I didn't have b- big insight or anything. It just happened across the fact that a lot of people were having to travel for their jobs. So that was kind of my first bread and butter clients were the people that were desperate to find some place for their dog because now they're in the oil field and they have to go to New Mexico or Ohio or some other place to work. Then fast forward in our business to 2012, whenever Moore was hit by a pretty, a very significant tornado, we were established business at that point, And that was a disruption. That's a, a, you know, a whole swath of our client base, which that area 
was part of the client base, lost their homes, lost their jobs, lost their, you know, there's a lot of things that happened then. And And on top of that, there were thousands of homes destroyed and therefore thousands of pets that were displaced or missing. Also, all the stray animals that still live in those areas at that time and the rescues and the shelters were completely overwhelmed. Yeah. So what we did was we said, what can we do? right now. And so we started a nonprofit. That was the year that we started Annie's Rescue Foundation. We'd already kind of been doing that. Uh, we ended up at Moore Shelter that night and got all of their adoptable animals and brought them to our facility because ultimately in these times, it goes back to kind of what we talked about in our last podcast, which was who are you in your community? So we're part of our community and we want to help. So we tried, we, we used that opportunity to help and that wasn't anything other than our moral fiber the way we did it. So, but it did start our nonprofit that's actually been able to do a lot of other great things in our community. So we just look around for opportunities. It is a real catalyst whenever there's these big disruptions. It also gives you an opportunity to evaluate your business in different ways. From a policy perspective, one of the things that I found most interesting about this particular crisis is what it has unveiled about the failings of our national structure in a number of ways. First of all, you know, small businesses like ours if we experience a significant decline in revenue you know, on the doggy daycare side because people are not traveling as much, on the coffee side because maybe they're quarantined and they can't come out and get coffee or don't want to risk it, we don't have the ability, we don't have the cash cushion to keep all of these employees on their regular payroll. And that's troubling for us. We also are not situated well enough to be able to provide affordable health care for our employees and I think this particular crisis is really showing the failures of an employer-sponsored healthcare system. You know, we have a lot of employees who are undercovered or maybe not covered at all, and there is very serious question about what would happen to them if they got sick and needed to get testing or needed treatment. How would that be paid for? The reassurances provided by the federal government do certainly do not reassure me as an employer who wants to make sure that our employees are safe. The same with paid time off. A number of our employees live fairly close to paycheck to paycheck and a drastic reduction in their hours or our need to close for several weeks or a month because of anything related to this crisis would be impossible for them to manage without a significant amount of paid time off, which is why the countries that have fared best in this are the ones with national paid time off policies. And I think you said it best in in something we were talking about, which was we are all as protected as our least cared for resident as our least cared for resident, because Mm -hmm. these kinds of pandemic disease spread the light is shined really bright mm-hmm. whenever there's a, a missing medical and the people with the least ability to miss work maybe because they're hourly or you know they work at a job daycare or kids yeah or yeah. even just a service industry job where there might be a thousand people who are willing to fill that spot if you are unwilling to work you know you are at the greatest risk of infection but you're also at the greatest risk of spread mm-hmm. and so it's it's kind of a double-edged sword and so you know i think that that this has really shown policymakers, some of the failings in our system, and it's been really interesting to see those who oppose, let's say, nationalizing our health care, when they say, oh, yes, 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 we're going to make sure that everyone who needs a test can get a test and get treatment all free of charge. But this is not socialism. But this is mm-hmm. not Medicare for all. This mm-hmm. is just a public health emergency. But they can't figure out a way to separate coronavirus from the flu. Mm-hmm. Or say, why is coronavirus a public health emergency, but diabetes isn't? 
So, you know, this is really, I think, uncovering some really interesting policy discussions that'll take place after this. But my hope is that they also start during it, because once crises are over, the further they are in your rearview mirror, the less pressing the urgency is to try and solve it. So as that relates to businesses, I think there's big similarities with we shouldn't be reactionary. We should be looking at the possibility of a pandemic and how do we protect our community before it happens. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for us as a business, at our business, we have had other crises. I, I have a protocol. There's I didn't even have to think about it. I know that this is how we're going to handle things. I've already talked to the bank. I talked to the bank several weeks ago. We've talked about this in podcast, having a relationship with your bank, because you can't predict, this is not something that's necessarily predictable on, you know, by Doug Dick or Lady in Norman, Oklahoma. I mean, there are some professionals in our midst that probably should have predicted this. Well, and, and there were. I mean, yeah. the the alarm the alarm has been sounding the for weeks. Fired them though, right? Yeah, <laughs> but but I mean, you know, the news the news has been coming in from these other countries for weeks. I mm -hmm. mean, in early January. I mean, like last we knew year. that this was happening. <laughs> like last year, we should have probably yeah. Not well, fired and there, our pandemic sure. response team. But just even as an individual business owner, if you start to see concerning news. In other parts of the world, things that are easily transmitted by travel and, mm -hmm. you know, things like that, start paying attention to yeah, that. And we're in a travel business, so yeah. we're paying attention. And, and Kate, on her side, she did a lot of research. What do we need to have? What do we need to... She has people in her world. Her mom is a medical director, so she's able to get that medical advice for us. For me, I'd already had some protocols in place for talk to the bank. We already suspended our loan payments for a couple of months. They're comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. and, and we don't need it yet, but we might. So these are the triggers I've had in place to pull in an optimum time. We would have also a reserve of cash, but since we built out so much last year, we're, we're on the bottom of the barrel with the cash. But additionally, we got them to guarantee our payroll. And before we kind of dive deeper into those things that a business owner can do, I just want to say two things. One, Prepare, you know, do what you can, but also secondly, don't rely on anyone else's help. I mean, and that, that's a little bit of what I talked about earlier is the federal response has been mostly aimed at propping up the economy in terms of stock market numbers and interest rates and support for the national industries that have been most affected by this. And so kind of alluded to that earlier when I said there hasn't really been much support for small businesses. I don't ever think that we can guarantee on that kind of help coming. So what can you do yourself with mm -hmm. the own relationships that you've built? What can you do that doesn't rely on state or federal assistance to relieve that burden from you? So on the practical application side of it, you know, what, what do we do in doggy daycare to make sure? Well, we are already in a pretty disease control environment where we do a lot of cleaning and a lot of hand washing and those kinds of things. We just reiterated those policies and why they're there. You know, I know people get lax with hand washing, especially when you're already covered in mud and dog goo. You just think, oh, I want to go wash my hands. Well, it's no, hard to feel like hands. washing your hands is helpful when yeah. you are covered head to toe in mud. <laughs> yeah. So wash your hands. And just in the nitty gritty of it, you know, we're going to sanitize after we handle customer leashes. You mentioned that the coffee shops were wiping down the iPad that we hand out to customers and back and forth so that we're not bringing customer goo into our, which probably would have, should have been done anyways, but we're doing that. But, but it's it, also just overt steps to show customers and clients that but, we're yeah, taking care of those Yeah, just show them. Um, it, it was an opportunity for me to ask our employees to, you know, 
their appearance should be such that people feel confident that we're cleaning. More so um, now than ever, well, you know, a slightly more dis- disheveled appearance says more mm-hmm. than it did prior to this. Yeah. And that also means recognize when the supplies that you use in your business might also come to be relied upon by individuals in the home. So I'm sure all of you know about our national bleach shortage. We and use bleach regularly. This we is part need of our, bleach. It's <laughs> part of our business. Bleach. We're not trying to we're not trying to get more to do what we need to do. We're just trying to make sure that we have enough, um, mm-hmm. not even just about coronavirus, but making sure that, you know, we do what we can to reduce the spread of Bordetella kennel cough in our in our facilities. Right. I mean, this is this is just what we do on a daily basis. And ensuring we have enough of that in a time of crisis is something to pre-plan for wherever we can. We did the same thing with dog food, especially yeah. before spring break. We said, you know, let's really make sure that we have enough dog food, not only because we don't know what supply chain disruptions there will be, maybe an in international shipping, but also because, you know, we do have clients who do things like go on cruises. Mm-hmm. And so if for some reason we were going to end up with these dogs for longer because their owners couldn't get back to collect them, we needed to be sure that if they didn't have enough food, that we had enough food to be able to, to provide to for them. Gap. And additionally, um, and I've done this in the past, people book their stays. Spring break's been booked for weeks. So if they've decided to go out of the country, or even if this gets even weirder and with traveling within the country gets restricted, we may end up with their dogs. And ethically, I have a problem with taking advantage of that. So what we end up doing is dropping to an emergency pricing mm-hmm. situation to cover our costs, but, you know, not gouge that customer. So we, I don't know, maybe that's counterintuitive for because I did pay $7 for a bottle of Lysol recently, <laughs> <laughs> which is normally like $4. Well, I think that's the kind of grace that we also ask from our partners. So I think it's appropriate. Yeah. I mean, just like we go to we went to the bank and asked if we could do interest only payments for a couple months because, you know, April's already usually a very slow month for us and February is a very slow month. So any dip in March because we of lose this March, we get problems. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, preempting that with some interest only payments, which they gladly accepted. They mm-hmm. guaranteed our payroll. And our next step would be if this continues to spiral and it looks like our revenues are going to be continually dropping, we'll do the same thing with our internet provider and our electric utility and see what kind of plan we can work out with them. And so I think it's only appropriate that we do the same thing with our customers and clients because that's what we expect of the people that we pay. Right. So so I think that, you know, we we can get through this together, but six feet apart and sanitized mm-hmm. <laughs> together. Um, and that's part of, you know, the things we've talked about in previous podcasts, which is having relationships mm-hmm. with suppliers, lenders, all that stuff that helps you also having a good relationship with your employees. So they trust yeah. that you have a plan B. We kind of forgot. This was our, yeah, this the, was our fail in this triumph and fail of preempting some of these concerns with some of the work we did. What we didn't do was talk to our employees. We had done all of this groundwork. We knew this was kind of looming. We were doing research. We were making sure we had plan Bs in place and all this stuff. But we didn't say, hey, employees, we're doing all these things to we make have sure plan B, don't you're going to get paid <laughs> and you, you have opportunity. You know, So we had actually posted it on a Yeah, our a operations group. manager saw a comment that we had made in one of the industry Facebook groups that, that we're a member of because, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they, they talk about these things and are asking these questions. So 
we weighed in with a couple of the things that we were doing. And she saw that and she screenshotted it and sent it to us and said, oh, thank God. I was I was starting to get worried. I'm so glad that you have a plan. And we both were just like, oh, Oh, yeah, we forgot to say anything. So embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) So so we were able to, you know, talk to them and reassure everybody that we're going to be fine. We're going to be in this together. You know, the bank is not going to give away a million dollar uh, revenue stream because we didn't make one payment, you know. Or because we overdrafted our account once because of payroll. Though yeah, it's going to be. They want to keep our million dollar revenue stream going as much as we do because they, you know, we have $350,000 worth of debt with them. So yeah. we're all in this together. The only way we'll pay that off is if we continue to operate. <laughs> yeah. So. so, yes, that was the one part that we kind of missed. So we have now corrected that and made sure that we conveyed that to our employees alongside some appropriate reminders for washing hands and cleaning front, being diligent in cleaning the front counter, being more diligent in our appearance than maybe we really needed to in the past. Just really got to put as good of a face on it as we possibly can. And in the coffee world, there are some opportunities there because mm-hmm. uh, we have a drive through coffee. So that's a great place to get your coffee and not have to really be around too many people. Yeah. And we have a delivery option with our roaster So you can order beans on our website and we'll put them on your front porch for you. We'll put them in a glass jar. If you live locally. If you live locally. Please, Californians, please do not expect local delivery. I'm sorry. But we'd gladly ship you coffee. But if you have somebody in California that wants to know about our business model, shoot us an email. That's right. Um, But either who's, we are able to locally deliver beans in an eco-friendly jar that's reusable and sanitizable. Mm -hmm. So That is one step we did implement at both of our locations, though, is we typically have a reusable cup program. Reduce the use of single-use cups. So we will give you a discount if you bring your own travel mug in. We're not going to be doing that for a little while. We're going to suspend that one. Um, You know, we asked them to bring them in at least rinsed, you know, I mean, I don't yeah. give us your crusty old yeah. mug and ask us to fill it, but so we don't while, have, keep your grubby mug at home. <laughs> yeah. We don't wash and sanitize things that people bring from home. So leave it at home for the time being. We will still give the discount if you ask for it, because again, we're just, we're trying to be safe, not take more money from people. So. Yeah. And so we're going to push our bag coffee sales in delivery form or even mail order form. Mm-hmm. And then contacting our coffee supplier mm-hmm. because a lot of the things that, you know, coffee obviously is imported. So we have to make sure that the supply chain is still there and, and that we're able to get the raw beans before we roast them. So, right. you know, and then we might, depending on how this goes, you know, like I said, talk to our electric company and talk to our utility company. The other vendors we have that we don't, it's a little more of an impersonal relationship, especially mm-hmm. with our internet provider. Our electric company is local and we've got a our milk provider is local too. Our so. milk provider is local. That's so that's one of the benefits of, of shopping local as well is there's a little bit more solidarity because, you know, we're you all in it together. Have a chance to come face to face with those people. People at Cox don't at drink six our coffee, feet, but six feet, six apart. feet sanitized. sanitized. I will not shame you for wearing a mask if you want to wear one either. <laughs> this is my this is my five second like stop virtue signaling during a crisis. Like, let people act the way they need to act. Don't yeah. minimize it. Let yeah, them no, buy the fine. toilet paper. You buy all the toilet paper you need there, buddy. Yeah. I'm cool. You, I, know who's, so. you know who's laughing at this? People like me who have a bidet. Because <laughs> I use probably 10 times less toilet paper than anyone else. So you know what's a better purchase than $100 worth of toilet paper? 
Get your butt online or to your local hardware store. Buy yourself a bidet. You'll worry about toilet paper a heck of a lot less. <laughs> I was like, you know, also... Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. Also, can we just talk for a minute about whatever happened before canned sanitizers and I guess we had plagues and stuff. A, lo- but a lot more people died. A lot more people died. <laughs> so. But still, there is washing your hands. You can just wash your hands. Yeah. Also, people like me that had a farm that was way off from civilization, I just naturally stockpile crap. Yeah, when you're an hour from the grocery store. I have toilet paper for days. So we're good over at my house. Um, But I did order some trees from China. Yeah, about a week before this whole thing blew up. So <laughs> I think it's yeah. all my fault anyway. Sorry. <laughs> so we haven't gotten our trees and we've closed they, down. They our, claim they're still coming. They say they're still coming. They're still on time. So we'll see what happens there. So I guess keep calm and carry on is my message. Six feet apart from everybody yeah. and sanitized. But <laughs> be prepared. Don't expect anyone else to help you. Yeah, be prepared. But this should be always. I think we get falsely secure in like, oh, well, I can just run down to Walmart and get whatever I need anytime I need it. Mm-hmm. And really... We need to shop local. We need mm-hmm. to support local businesses so that when we're in a situation like this, our dairy is local. Our bank is local. There are people we can go to and and we can have other people on our team that we can have a face-to-face conversation with. So I, I, this is going to be just like little teeny tiny story time. So my daughter's daycare is a bilingual daycare. It is run primarily from people who have come from Venezuela and Honduras and Colombia. And up until about, I'd say about a week ago, they were freaking out because no one was freaking out. That they live in countries that swing from crisis to crisis. They have very little consistency in their supply chains, ensuring two weeks to a month's worth of food and medication and necessities in your home at all times is a part of daily life. And so for them, they were panicked because no one was panicking, because they've seen the impact of supply chain disruptions in their own communities. And it's part of the reason why they fled, that they felt far more comfortable once Americans started to panic, because then they actually felt like people were taking it seriously. Right. They said, you know, we are worried that this country's privilege and their insulation from national disruption on a large scale means that we were worried that you weren't taking this seriously. And now we are. And so, you know, I think that's really important. And my hope is that the one biggest thing that we should take away from all of this is this could happen at any time for any number of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so we had likely been lulled into kind of a false sense of complacency or feeling like, well, the federal government has it handled And hopefully now it is more clear than ever before that depending on who's running the administration, we are more or less prepared for a crisis depending Mm -hmm. on who's there and what their emphasis is. And that we have decentralized so much of what we do in terms of public health and emergency preparedness that you also need to make sure that your state and county is well prepared as well because depending on where you live, they might not be. So... I hope that we learn from this and take lessons into the future instead of just being like, whew, glad that's over. Back to your regularly scheduled programming and pretend like it never happened. I think it's always important in business to be flexible and nimble. And so, you know, the silver lining here is if this is your first crisis and you're a new business owner, that this is when you look around for the opportunities. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a little bit of pain. 
there's lots of opportunities for it not to be good, but there are lots of opportunities for you to find new uh, ways to do things. For instance, with our coffee company, you know, let's push those bad coffee sales that gets delivered to your door. Yep. Maybe we need to put some of our, you know, doggy daycare drives up. We can put some of those employees over on that delivery system. Yep. You know, there's, I, I already am thinking mm-hmm. of plan B's, places we could put employees and keep them working and keep our businesses running. We yep. just may have to shift things around. This so, is a really good unintentional stress test Yeah. for businesses. Where are the cracks in the bucket? Right. So think, <laughs> about, so think about it that way. Yeah, it's going to feel a little bit like you're running around trying to chew enough bubble gum to stick on these cracks because that's all you have time to do. But take it for what it is and take those lessons after this is over and continue to evaluate your business in that way. And be sure in your data, you're marking this down so that, you know, in 2025, you can look back and be like, what was going on? In February, March of 2020, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know, even ice storms, I mean, there's smaller scale. These things happen too. Mm-hmm. Ice storms are a big one for us. I don't know. There's all kinds of situations that happen. Yeah, we have all kinds of little mini crises that little happen mini in a ones. state like So ours. you're always going to need to be able to have these kinds of things in your toolbox. So mm-hmm. contact your suppliers. Stockpile enough. Don't be greedy. Look for opportunities and uh, communicate with your community partners. I guess those are my big takeaways for today. Yeah. I think that about covers it. Okay. Well, if we all survive it and we're here next week, (laughs) we'll see you then. But in the meantime, you can contact us or find out more about us at roarandpeaceproject.com. And continue to email us at roarandpeaceproject at gmail.com. We will see you next week.